Now, the biggest cost factors, as it turns out, in the financial service space is compliance. So financial institutions spend $240 billion a year on compliance. If you can fundamentally change the cost of compliance, you can radically transform the cost of transactions. And what this does then is opens up markets. So now you have the opportunity to do cross-border transactions. You give access investment opportunity to far more people that had access to these opportunities before. And that results in access to capital, which can transform economies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. We're the largest podcast dedicated to blockchain, crypto, and the fintech industry, the Middle East and Africa. I'm your host, Nick Watson. In today's episode, we are here with the founders of Securency, one of the leading pioneers in the blockchain space, focused on tokenizing securities and working with regulators to achieve mass scale adoption. In today's episode, we discuss taking your time to achieve government and regulator support, bringing the ecosystem together, the future of DeFi, and how securities can be part of the DeFi space. Before we start, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, CoinsApp, a global social payments application for cryptocurrencies. Based on the Dan blockchain ecosystem, it empowers millions of people to send money around the world in just seconds. They launched in July. It's available right now on the Google and Apple Play stores. We'd also like to thank you for listening to the show. Please take a few seconds to rate, review, and share. And now, on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Encrypted. I am personally excited about this episode, and I'm sure you will find it extremely interesting. We are going to delve into the world of securities, tokens, and eventually we're going to hit DeFi. So stick around, listen to the whole episode. You're going to find it amazing. So first, I want to introduce the founders of Securency, probably one of the longest running and definitely flourishing tokenized security platforms in the blockchain and fintech space. I'd like to introduce you to Dan Doney, the CEO, and John Hensel, the COO. Welcome, gents, to Encrypted. Let's first take five minutes to say hello. Yeah, this is Dan Doney, the CEO of Securency, and we're excited to be here on Encrypted with your growing audience and hard-hitting topics. This should be a fun one, so we're looking forward to it. Yeah, likewise, Nick, and for your audience, this is John Hensel. Happy to be joining you and connecting again with you, Nick. We've been close fans of yours since 2017 and happy to be part of this episode. John, of course, is coming from Abu Dhabi and I'm connected from Washington, D.C. This is the the new reality of distributed teams in COVID. (laughs) So it's, it's good to connect. Awesome. Now, gents, considering you're so distributed, just give us a brief understanding of how you guys came together and your background. Because obviously, I know you're, you're effectively military men, but you're living in a high-tech world right now. Well, those two things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Military folks do like high-tech too, of course, Nick. But yeah, John and I met in 1988, so some 30, over 30 years ago, as freshmen at the United States Naval Academy. And we went through our training there where they harden you physically and mentally and with an excellent academic program. And then we went off on separate directions in our careers. I went on to MIT to get my graduate degree there and, and then served for a number of years at the Naval Academy. And John went on for an illustrious career in the military as a pilot. 
I got out of the military in, in 2000 and went to work for startups doing some AI programming, uh, also working for the hospitality industry on, on pricing models. And then here in the US, 9-11 happened. And I was recruited to NSA and worked there for almost a decade in advanced research. I started in the 90s in artificial intelligence and then really moved to the, to the front of that community during that time in, in the 2000s. As I progressed through my career, I ultimately became the intelligence community's first chief innovation officer and served in that role from 2012 to 2015 at the Defense Intelligence Agency. And that's where I was introduced to blockchain, the transformational technology that it is. It has had a, a checkered past. And part of my initial introduction was, wow, this is amazing. I can conduct download a wallet and conduct these transactions. And then as I became more familiar with the technology as part of my job, I saw the bad use of the technologies we were tracking the illicit activity. And in that time frame, 2012, 13, 14, a majority of the transactions were in support of illicit activity. But you did see a powerful foundation for efficient transactions globally. And that foundation, as we could see every transaction that took place on the networks, you could easily pick out the bad actors and the transactions and the linkages between folks. So it created an opportunity actually for a better financial system. And that's where John and I came back together again to actually launch this company. As I realized, if you have a perfect substrate where every transaction is fully reportable and you add on top of that identity, you can actually meet all regulatory concerns. So we jumped out, started creating tokens. Our, our interest has always been in asset-backed tokens specifically income producing assets because they have a certain price stability and natural liquidity to them. So in 2015, I built the initial prototype of our system and, and began tokenizing, among other things, commercial real estate leases, loan portfolios, et cetera. But we recognized early on and as we, we created the company, we saw the power of these easy to transact digital instruments that had the ease of in payment systems of a currency but it could carry value with a real investment thesis that you would get from a security. That's where the name security comes from. But there were certainly regulatory components that we had to cross. And so that, that started a long journey to where we are today as we focused on those challenges, the, the challenges of financial logistics. So we are a blockchain-based financial logistics company. And we'll tell you a lot more about what that means as we dive in further. Yeah. So as, as Dan said, you know, post our education at the Naval Academy, I went into naval aviation and I served in the U.S. Navy for 25 years as a pilot and in the later years in uh, program management. So working with the Naval Air Systems Command to acquire and field weapon systems and, and aircraft systems to keep our, our warfighters equipped with the capabilities they need to be superior in the field. In doing that, I had some you know, great opportunities to learn about cost schedule and performance considerations around the development of complex programs. Also, in running large organizations, the man, train, and equip components of preparing an organization for success. So as I was arriving at the, the twilight of my career, I guess, in, in naval aviation and trying to look for new challenges, I was very fortunate to be able to be close to Dan, both in, as a friend as well as in geography. So we were able to collaborate quite a bit very conveniently in the uh, greater Washington, D.C. area. 
and thought that this was a really an exciting opportunity to, to take the skills that I had developed while serving and bring them into a new space, an emerging technology, a very important area in capital markets. Certainly, if you look at the global economy and its, its reliance on being able to efficiently match capital to opportunity, any kind of innovation that could help with greater visibility, greater enhanced compliance, those sorts of outcomes would be very beneficial in the long run. So it was exciting to, to kind of rekindle a relationship with a longtime friend uh, and to move into a very dynamic and, and challenging and impactful space. And here we are, five years later, we are really blazing a trail in many markets, working with some of the world's most premier institutions and certainly very close to the regulators that are responsible for these different markets. So it's an exciting journey that we've been on thus far. Couldn't ask for a better partner to work with. And certainly we've built a very, a very powerful team, an impactful team to deliver our capabilities to the market. So in 2017, we were looking at where the United States was with regard to digital securities or tokenized assets. The United States is, is certainly you know, seen as kind of the gold standard with regard to regulation and, and capital market activity. And at that time, we as a, a young company knew that we needed to explore other markets in the event that you know, the U.S. jurisdiction didn't move at, at a particularly blistering pace, which frankly it shouldn't. So as we explored other markets, we looked at Singapore, Switzerland, UK, Japan, evaluating markets and where technologies like blockchain could be brought to bear in a you know a very important and impactful way. And as we did our research, we looked at the United Arab Emirates and we saw a very progressive environment, one that frankly uh, had little legacy infrastructure to contend with and was one that really created a very attractive set of circumstances for us to bring a new business into. So in 2017, we made the journey to the UAE, initially exploring Dubai and Abu Dhabi. And Nick, that's actually when we, we met for the first time and came to understand that this market was really far more favorable than we had even anticipated. We made it a, our international headquarters. We established a very strong relationship with the Abu Dhabi Global Market and the Financial Services Regulatory Authority. And now we have over 25 employees here in the UAE, engineers, technology strategists, commercial, and a variety of other functions supporting the growth of our platform and the deployment of, of our capabilities in a, a very, very important jurisdiction. So happy to continue the conversation and take it where you may like, Nick. Turns out our little secret is now out. So people have come to understand how important and how progressive the market is there in the UAE as they're really becoming world financial leaders based on the sophistication of their approach. It's simply the best regulators in the world. As they are tech savvy, they, of course, are looking to protect investors and in embracing technology at the same time. It's just been the perfect environment for us to, to move quickly. And of course, that's prepared us for every other market. As we end up working closely with the SEC, as we're taking some major offerings to market here in the U.S., but also in other marketplaces because of the strength of our relationship there in the UAE. Yeah, you know, I can't argue with you guys on any of that. I'm hoping our listeners can, because the fact is Encrypted was born and bred out of the UAE as well. 
And the fact is, I think ADGM has done an amazing job of choosing its sister country being Singapore, right? So I think it's opened up a lot of doors. Are you guys leveraging or getting access to that into the Singapore market as well? Indirectly, yes. And we expect that relationship to grow. We're focused on the UAE, US, and European markets right now, but that, that step is next. And certainly the regulators are opening doors there um, because of their tight relationship with the MAS. And we will take advantage of those openings as we grow. All right. So look, let's, let's delve into some of the, the really cool, fun stuff and, and where you are today. So can you explain in a very simple way what it is exactly you can do and what you're planning to do with it? Yes. So as I mentioned, we're focused on financial logistics. So first, let me explain the importance of that term and, and what it means, and then give you specific examples of what we, we do to make financial logistics possible. So current capital markets are very fragmented, as you see the difference between public and private markets in many cases, and they're radically different. You see differences between debt and equity markets, between payments and investments. And then you just multiply that when you go to international markets and you begin to cross borders and regulatory boundaries, et cetera. So it's a very fragmented marketplace. And as a result, you end up with expensive transactions. And we'll go into that here a little bit more, but they're slow. Sometimes they're inconvenient. And so you really want to make those transactions efficient. We know that this business model is a game-changing business model. So just to give you others who focused on logistics in their industry, Amazon, of course, focused on retail logistics and has come to transform that industry in a massive way. For folks in the U.S., you'll recognize Southwest really transformed logistics in their marketplace, that is, in the, the flight industry, changing the, the parameters there and have gone from a regional player to a substantial national player. And then, of course, I've got a man crush on Elon Musk. He's taken and changed fundamentally the space industry by focusing on launch logistics. So as they've lowered the cost of flight to space, you see that it's completely transforming the space industry. Well, the same thing's true in the financial services space. Now, the biggest cost factors, as it turns out, in the financial service space is compliance. So financial institutions spend $240 billion a year, $240 billion a year on compliance. And there's a KPMG study that really points to, to the root of this. If you can fundamentally change the cost of compliance, you can radically transform the cost of transactions. And what this does then is opens up markets. So now you have the opportunity to do cross-border transactions. You give access investment opportunity to far more people that had access to these opportunities before. And that results in access to capital, which can transform economies. So it's an exciting time, but you have to tackle that hard problem first, which is the compliance component. Now, there are other aspects of logistics as well. Interoperability, as exciting as the blockchain space is, it's still true, though, that the majority of transactions take place in traditional markets. So we connect traditional markets to blockchain, and this allows you to go back and forth. There are many exciting blockchain technologies, dis distributed ledger technologies, so we connect those together so that financial institutions don't get locked into legacy or expensive um, transaction solutions so that we can make all of those components efficient. And of course, we span the payments market and the securities market in ways that few others can. So that's what we do, financial logistics. We are transforming the cost of transactions globally. And uh, now that's a broad challenge. So we've been at work five years on some of the key aspects of this challenge. So let me tell you what we have. 
Perhaps our most important technology is our Compliance Aware Token Framework. And the centerpiece of that is something called our policy engine. The policy engine allows us to take global regulatory frameworks, codify them as what we call recipes. So these recipes actually are generated by law firms and they're very easy. The regulator can read their rule sets. We're conducting a cross-border regulatory experiment involving a number of the world's leading regulators, showing that we can take each of those jurisdictions regulations, codify them, and then support and automate transaction compliance. So cross-border transactions, there's only a few financial institutions that can actually operate at global scale and typically at great cost. When you automate transaction compliance, you can drive those costs to practically zero and open them up to any financial institution, small and medium-sized broker-dealers, for example, other folks who are in the fintech payment space suddenly can get access to tools that automate their compliance experience. So that's a game changer. That's our most mature technology. It's the piece that we began work in 2016 on this technology. We've got patents pending on the core components of this. And that piece is enabler for every other component. So we've got a, a nice set of tools. We call this our Infin Exchange that allows us to engage in transactions across distributed ledgers, as well as to connect in existing payment networks, exchanges, banking systems, et cetera, into a unified framework that allows any hub. So you can take any payment network, click it in, and it suddenly works with all of the other components. So that piece of interoperability facilitates easy transactions across various payment networks, banking systems, et cetera. So that's a key component is our Infin Exchange. But as we're going to discuss in a little bit, we've got exciting new tools in the DeFi space. We'll talk about that a little bit later <laughs> as we get to that topic. But those are our main components. What this results in is a platform as a service offering that supports the full life cycle of security tokens of payment tokens, so that's stable coins, makes it easy for folks to, to issue these instruments of value, maintain them, perform important regulatory functions and roles, such as broker roles, transfer agent roles, custody roles within the space, all within a unified framework. And our main target, of course, is financial institutions. Financial institutions are recognizing that the world is changing very quickly. Their business models, which were very expensive, are suddenly the cost points are going to nearly zero. And they recognize they need to get on board, but most of them lack the tools or the agility to be able to integrate quickly into the blockchain space. And so we provide that. So another business model analog is what Red Hat did to Linux. So Linux is a powerful open source tool. What's not to like? Well, it was very hard for enterprise to adopt Linux. And so Red Hat layered over top of Linux, a technology, a platform that made it easy for institutions to adopt. We do the same thing with blockchain. As we layer over top of this, a set of compliance tools, a set of custody tools that make it easy for banks to integrate with their existing systems. And so as a result, they can take advantage of the underlying power of blockchain networks. Awesome. Since we since we first met John, we um, you've come a long way since you first arrived in the UAE. How are you winning the regulators over? Because this is the fintech space, and this is the blockchain space, and this is technically sort of getting close to the crypto space, or is the crypto space? So these three things are historically known to clash. So what is it that, other than the compliance, but what is it you do, and how do you interact with these these regulators to just make them warm and fuzzy? Yeah, it's a very important point, Nick. And, and 
you know, you've touched on something that is an area that many other innovators have struggled with. They've arrived at what appears to be a streamlined solution to address a, a transaction requirement, for instance, but they've neglected the regulatory requirements that are traditionally associated with that type of a transaction. And, you know, if you were to approach the regulation and think, well, it's just friction in the system. It's just a, a hindrance to speed and a hindrance to progress. The reality is regulation is often written as a byproduct of lessons learned. Over the history of our financial markets in the last century plus, there have been a lot of critical times that have had some very significant impacts on the global economy and regional economies for failure of regulation. So when security effectively was born, we recognized that we were talking about regulated financial instruments in securities themselves. So our approach has always been to embrace the regulation, to embrace the compliance requirements, and to do everything that we can such that when we approach a regulator seeking approval or authorization to act in the market, we're not asking them to change anything. We're not asking them to change the regulations, change the laws, change their procedures. In fact, we're embracing them. We see them as very, very important value-added steps in the marketplace. But our approach is to take technology and find ways to make the regulation more efficient and find ways to automate compliance, to create self-governing financial instruments and increase visibility into the transactions and those that are transacting in the marketplace to give the market surveillance responsibilities of these regulatory bodies greater reach and, and, and greater impact. So frankly, as we have engaged with the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of the Abu Dhabi Global Market, the SEC in the United States, the uh, various regulators from Switzerland, Singapore, Japan, Australia. We've always taken the approach of we're here to work with you. We're effectively sitting on the same side of the table as the regulators and giving them tools to make them more effective. And when you take that approach, frankly, you're embraced. You're not getting any special favors. They're not reducing or lowering any of the standards which you need to comply with in order to operate but it is far less threatening and far better received by the regulators in these different markets when you take that approach. And, and that's the tack that we've taken. We have aligned ourselves with some very important institutional players who appreciate and value that approach. And as a result, it's, it's really paved the way for some tremendous success and some tremendous innovation in a relatively short period of time. So if you're winning the regulators in multiple jurisdictions, can people just plug directly into your infrastructure and just leverage it and you just take care of everything? So not just institutions, but I mean, this DeFi space is blowing up and liquidity is becoming, is moving faster than it has ever moved before, right? And if you see what's happening with DeFi, you're talking about a billion dollar assets under management in a matter of two days, right? That's a dream to most fund managers or asset managers, right? So are you able to start embracing these really exciting areas? Yeah, absolutely, Nick. So, I mean, stepping back, you know, remember, we're a financial services market infrastructure company, and we deliver both that infrastructure and related products that are tools for broker-dealers, investment banks, custodians, transfer agents, exchanges, on down the line, as well as, of course, the regulators being able to oversee the market activity. But when you, when you deliver trusted tools to the market and you receive institutional adoption of those tools, it becomes very impactful. And I know Dan's got a lot of thoughts here on, on where and how 
this technology will roll out. But you're hitting on the right things there, Nick, is that it takes time. This is not an overnight success. This is a journey. It's an infrastructure play. But as we build momentum and we build adoption and we build a trust in the institutions and in the regulators, you see a very, very important impact, which is the efficiency in which capital can be raised, efficiently matching capital to opportunity, and connecting markets across border transactions become a, a reality, very efficient. Before we continue, here's a quick word about our sponsor, CoinsApp. CoinsApp is a social payments application for cryptocurrencies based on the Dan blockchain ecosystem. It empowers millions of people to send money around the world in just seconds. A huge shout out to the team for building this platform and ecosystem. Please check it out on the Google and Apple Play stores now. Let's let's give an example for our listeners. Let's say I'm sitting on a ton of assets, right? Securities, whatever they are. It could be real estate, REITs, whatever. And it gets tokenized. So I have a digital representation of my shareholding or my asset. And we can fractionalize that down to whatever numbers we want. It doesn't have to be two decimal places. It can be anything. From what I've understood from what we've discussed in the past and, and what you're doing now, technically, your entire supply chain would allow me to have my tokenized assets, which would be worth anything from $10,000 up to millions of dollars. I could take my credit card and go spend my building by swiping. That's correct. So we connect, in that case, the securities market with the payments market. And so with a simple credit card transaction or even a point-to-point transaction in, let's say, dollars or dirham, you're drawing on the value that you have in your crypto assets or securities within the space. It's, it's a connected, seamless, easy transaction. And again, these these capabilities that we have are smart contracts-based capabilities and can be used in both the DeFi space as well as in the security token space. But, but let me be precise there. So for example, our policy enforcement point is a decentralized policy enforcement point. So what's a policy enforcement point? That's a place where you can take regulatory policy. We codify them. We have a simple user interface where you can drag and drop the rules from various jurisdictions into these recipes. Those get published as bytecode on chain and are interpreted by a policy enforcement point. Any smart contract can refer to that smart contract to make a decision on whether or not a transaction is, is permitted. The policies can change. They can be updated at any point with respect to a particular token. You're simply updating the bytecode and immediately it begins to adapt to enforce regulatory rules. So we can take, for example, the rules from Australia, the rules from the UAE, the rules from the US. Remember, if I've got an asset backed token issued in the UK, traded for another asset backed token issued in the UAE by an investor in the United States with another investor in Australia, you're implicating at least four different regulatory jurisdictions in that. And whitelists and the, the techniques that others are using in the space simply don't scale to the complexity of that transaction and they break down. So many tokenized platforms, you see this as a problem for liquidity is they're sort of isolated to certain markets. And in this case, it opens up the markets globally, but it's very simple to use. So at any tokenized, any tokenizer, any tokenization platform can simply point to this policy enforcement point and they get access to sophisticated rules enforcement within the space. We have a similar attestation registry. It is a mechanism that allows both regulators to apply. It's, it's just an, an on-chain oracle that includes attestations from authorized sources. 
So this allows regulators to weigh in, uh, ratings agencies to weigh in, and that information to be used by smart contracts for pricing decisions, among other things. So that's a key new capability that, that again, is available for decentralized finance. We're still leaving the biggest item on the table, which is our digital asset composer. But I want to talk about an exciting development before we get to that topic. Our lead investor in our Series A round was WisdomTree. And WisdomTree is the world's largest independent ETF provider. So they're an asset manager that provides ETF. They have some of the marquee ETFs that trade both in the US and European markets. They're looking to tokenize these funds, these exchange-traded funds. Now, they're already highly liquid funds that trade in the world's major markets. They have strong pricing signals trading at tens of millions of dollars a day. When you tokenize these instruments, it's the same same underlying goods, you're able to actually transact in and out of the crypto markets from traditional financial markets to crypto markets, or I should say blockchain markets, almost seamlessly. And this brings a whole new stable institutional grade instrument into the blockchain space, which allows institutional investors to come in and then in, invest in and out of other offerings. So it's, it's a significant new development in the blockchain space. We're going through the regulatory approval process, which is not small associated with bringing those offerings to market, but it's going to produce a foundation from which the liquidity that many folks have been seeking in the security token market can finally materialize. But of course, there is a new industry, DeFi. And that industry, as you said, we're over $6 billion in assets within this year and moving at over $500 million per month. And I think that's even accelerating into that space. But just like the early days of the ICO world, where folks weren't taking regulation seriously, security practices seriously, reporting requirements seriously, you're seeing some cracks in the foundations. When you take the tools that we have already brought to market and you couple them with our digital asset composer, which is a mechanism that simply allows you to issue DeFi instruments. And what is a DeFi instrument? It's a self-processing financial instrument that can be used for liquidity purposes. An example would be a DeFi loan. You can issue a self-processing loan via our platform from the digital asset composer without having to write additional code. You can write additional code to extend the behavior of your loan, but that loan processes itself. You can launch a fund. And in fact, we expect to do this with the exchange traded funds that process themselves and have complete transparency as to the asset, the movement of the underlying asset, the valuation of the underlying assets, and as well as the trading of the shares in the fund itself. It is the real deal. These markets are going to accelerate because they are so much more efficient from a back office perspective, but only to the extent that you add compliance, scalability. We've introduced continuous integration, continuous delivery models to smart contracts that allow you to efficiently test and roll into production and enhancements to your smart contracts. And again, this level of maturity is what we call institutional DeFi. It takes this rapidly growing industry, which is not yet mature, and gives it institutional maturity. And again, we think this will transform the markets altogether. Okay, so we keep we keep talking DeFi, which is decentralized finance. Your decentralized finance component is the fact that you're running on blockchain, which is public chains, right? You're working on multi-chains. You can store assets on chain. The regulatory component of your platform is centralized. 
No, even the regulatory component is decentralized within this framework. As you're able to publish the policies, that is the regulations themselves, on-chain for automated decentralized enforcement of those policies. So even that component is decentralized within our framework. This brings up something interesting. So let's say, for example, you've invested all this time and energy into this amazing tech that effectively digitizes regulations, right? And then you go and you publish it into a smart contract that's sitting on Ethereum. Now, effectively, you've just moved all that IP and energy to generate that bytecode into the public domain, and then suddenly everybody has access to it or not. No, that's correct. But let me take it further because there's some important implications to what you just said. First, it's very easy for regulators to review these policies. They can do it off-chain. They can test it off-chain. They can verify that, in fact, it is a proper representation of their regulations. So you publish those rules then once and they can be used by many parties. So after they're validated and everyone's confident that in fact, this does represent, for example, the rules of Australia, they can be reused. So instead of having every smart contract developer guessing whether or not they've considered everything that this particular regulator considers. And when you talk about a global standard where these, these recipes can be combined to give you global coverage, there's no, no smart contract developer who's going to be able to understand all of that. Here, we have a model where it's simple. You codify it, regulators review it, it gets published, it gets used, used over again. It can be updated at any point. So here in the US, the SEC has just come up with some new guidance. So the regulations do change and the policies can change, be published. And again, that affects transactions immediately. So we've separated out the regulatory compliance component, then can be easily attached to tokens, whether they're security tokens or DeFi instruments, those policies can, can be applied. But you can build other policies. Like, for example, when is the asset manager able to bring a new asset into their, let's say, exchange-traded fund? You can design policies associated with that to give investor transparency. So this can be used to govern any permission structure. It's a very flexible framework for that. And that allows maturity in governance. So now we're... um... We're going to get in some really interesting space with the DeFi space. So obviously two years ago, it was the ICO craze. You guys completely avoided that like the plague because, of course, of the, the lack of regulations. Now that's matured. You have centralized exchanges. Everybody's KYCing, AMLing, but they're not interoperating between each other other than allowing to withdraw or deposit tokens and then do whatever you want in the secondary market. And now we've come into this DeFi space where people are effectively writing fund management applications that are taking assets that are deposited or they're creating pools for liquidity. You guys made an automated market maker for your platform, right? So effectively, the DeFi space is sort of starting to embrace those types of technologies. So I'm trying to understand, where are you guys going to make money if you're publishing the regulations, let's say, on Ethereum smart contract? Are you are you being paid up by the transactions through the smart contract or you're paid by using your system to manage the tokens that would leverage those smart contracts? I think this, yeah, is, this is interesting for me, but also interesting for people who are listening because they're like, whoa, hang on. I don't need to do any work. You guys are going to go do the hard work and I'm just going to use your contract. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and that is the model. Now, of course, there's a fee for use of those, those recipes. So a transaction fee, as you'd expect for the use of these sophisticated regulatory policies, but a nominal fee. So instead of paying a lawyer substantial amount of money to generate the policy associated with your offering, you're simply reusing it. And of course, that's one way that we make money in this space. 
Now, you're right to point to our automated market maker. In fact, that was part of our first patent submission in 2016. Interestingly enough, is our AMM model to produce liquidity in the space. And, and just now, really over the last year, you see a number of DeFi components picking up on that theme for liquidity. There are other components, as you said, that are that are very important. The way you do waterfall payments in an exchange traded fund or, or any other asset like a real estate investment trust, those components can be composed and reused. What we're offering through the digital asset composer is a full taxonomy of asset classes. So funds, and, and there's a whole range of different types of funds, loans, and there's a whole range of different types of loans, principal at maturity, floating rates, et cetera, et cetera. Bonds, leases as financial instruments, DeFi financial instruments, that instead of having to build each of those, you compose them, drag and drop. So what we're doing there is what Salesforce did to the CRM or customer relationships management challenge, where people didn't have to go and build a customer management relationship management solution each time. They could simply reuse the tools that Salesforce had built in a SaaS platform. We're doing for digital assets. And so through the digital asset composer, this makes it where folks can simply add together, here's how I want to do collateral, here's how I want to do escrow for this particular loan. They compose those together and then issue their new instrument. Now, what this creates then is the conditions for smart contract developers to build their own pieces, put them into the DAP store that people compose from. And then when those assets get used, they get paid. So as we're moving out with this digital asset composer, it's designed to build an ecosystem of reusable components, DeFi components, for folks to build their own instruments within the space. And we think this is going to bring Salesforce-like efficiency to financial asset development in the DeFi world. Okay. So people are really, really getting excited about the DeFi space right now. So based on where you are and where DeFi is today, where is your intersection going to happen? Is it going to happen in the next couple of weeks with the DeFi space, a real world use case, or do you see DeFi flaming out because of the fact that it's basically chaining together all these smart contracts, which is obviously causing the huge gas fees, and wait for that to flame out, and then suddenly everybody's going to go back to, like they did with ICOs, they went to IEOs, where they tried to make it more institutional and more KYT out, and then they stop secondary markets like they're doing with CoinList and stuff like this. So. Where do you think you're going to really interface and start seeing adoption of what yeah. you're doing? Yeah, so DeFi is not going to flame out. It's going to continue to grow rapidly, though it'll be capped. As it grows, regulators can, can tolerate, or at least it's not a significant problem when you're talking about billions of dollars of value. But when you get to tens, hundreds of billion dollars of value, the regulators will begin to exercise oversight. So what you'll see is the early projects probably begin to wane. And the more mature projects then, then come into the space. You'll see the release of this digital asset composer in March of next year. We're going to begin socializing it and allowing developers to come into the ecosystem really over the next couple of months and, and put forward their own DeFi instruments that can be issued through the composer. And so the uptake will be occurring. We're going to be doing our first mainstream demonstrations of DeFi loans principal at maturity loans, as well as securitized loan funds. We have the technical capabilities. We're working on the demonstration capabilities, but those will roll out in, in March of next year. All of these have 
the institutional grade compliance capabilities already in them, unlike the instruments that you see today. So the the exciting, exciting component of this is effectively people who have assets under management or they have what they consider a very good way to turn $10 into $100 in in a kosher way, right? Coming to you, building out their the business model it, with your technology and then allowing it to be available to everyone on a global scale and you take care of all the hard stuff. Yes. Now, of course, we're building our own DeFi instruments. So people have access to those instruments through the Digital Asset Composer. But the idea here is an ecosystem of components. So what you want to be able to do is mix and match. You like the way that Uniswap is is doing their AMM component, but you want to use collateral from another component. So you want to tie those together into a, let's say, a securitized mortgage-backed security fund. Those tools, you just drag and drop them together and, and issue them. So we want to create the conditions where smart contract developers who are building specific pieces can offer them up through this DAP store to be composed together in the next generation financial instruments. Okay. So what is your opinion on um, the congestion right now in the network? I mean, we're talking about Ethereum, realistically, yeah. right? So gas has gone to insane prices, primarily because you have contracts working with contracts, working with contracts. So you have these huge chains for a single transaction that are becoming worth $50, $100, depending on the complexity you're engaging with. What are your thoughts on this? How are we going to get out of this? Yeah. We're going to have to wait for Ethereum next level, or are we going to have to wait for someone to come up with, a, for example, what they're doing with OMG and stuff? Yes. So look, we are, we're ledger agnostic for a reason. Specifically, we love Ethereum and we have a, an extensive decentralized component to this digital asset composer in the Ethereum network, but we are ledger agnostic. So those same components exist on, on other networks. We're agnostic, whether it's a public or private. We happen to have a very tight relationship with Stellar as well, a very low cost, efficient distributed ledger network that specializes in the global payment space, but are moving into the security space using our policy engine, interestingly enough. So by remaining ledger agnostic, parties are able to move to the best and most efficient ledgers that are out there. And there are some exciting new ledgers coming down the pike, things that aren't bound by the same scale limitations that that you see in Ethereum now. Now, we are excited for Ethereum 2.0. That's going to address many of the issues. It's a little long in in coming, but these are challenges. And it's an indicator of why no one should be locked into a single ledger because you never know how that ledger is going to evolve or what new ledger may come along. So in many ways, our strategy of remaining ledger agnostic has given us an advantage because we don't have all our eggs in one basket. So what what are your thoughts on platforms like Synthetics that are taking from different places and creating a synthetic version of something. Yeah, that concept of of hypothecation is a very important concept. So in fact, we're doing this with exchange-traded funds. So why would you do that? Why would you take something that trades freely and with high liquidity in one particular market and then make a synthetic version of it or a hypothecated version of that same asset? The reason is because you can get global distribution when you do that. As long as you can meet the compliance rules associated with those assets in every market, you suddenly open up the opportunity for that asset manager or that issuer to broaden their distribution. Of course, broader distribution means better access to capital. So we expect this trend to continue. And by the way, you can do the same thing. You can have synthetic versions of cryptocurrencies 
that trade much more efficiently and at lower cost than their their native component. You can do it with fiat currencies. And we've been doing all of this for, for some time now within the space because of the efficiency of our financial logistics engine. So we can take things that don't trade freely or easily, layer over top of them and make them efficient. So synthetics business model is a powerful model. This is the future of finance. There'll be many more native digital assets, that, that is assets that don't have a legacy underlying. We look forward to a world, but in the meantime, you can take those existing legacy assets, hypothecate them into the blockchain space and achieve massive transactional efficiency. All right, so let's delve into the next step for you guys, but also for people that are listening and people who want to work with you to move towards the regulated market. Who is the perfect person for you to work with right now? And what do you want them to do with you? We already have the perfect partner in Wisdom Tree. I, I, I just can't imagine a better partner. But in general, asset managers broadly across all the markets are a great candidate. We're also working very closely, and I won't name them here, with a number of the world's major financial institutions, that is banks and investment banks. And those parties are ideal as we expand these these operations broadly. Some of the, the world's leading clearinghouses are beginning to leverage our technology and our approach in this to, to financial logistics. So we are targeting an institutional audience. These are not amateur grade tools. So we're not trying to play in the low markets. We're playing in the high markets where we've built for five years, purpose-built. We didn't come bumbling into the market. We built sophisticated tools. We held off and we stayed out of the fray with all the hype and all of the craziness that was going on because we were targeting an institutional audience. So those are the folks that we work with. We have the most sophisticated tools in the marketplace to help institutional players. What we found, we actually, in talking to one of the major banks, they said, well, we brought in a lot of these projects and you know, it's folks that you've certainly heard of. And we found that they could not be integrated horizontally. So they did their one thing, but they weren't built as a logistics engine, a thing that could integrate with their existing financial services. We are purposefully and delicately and painstakingly focused on those kind of components. So those are the folks we want to work with going forward. The other target audience here, Nick, I'll tell you, is smart contract developers. So this digital asset composer is going to blow things wide open. So for folks who want to know what we're doing there and how they can participate, they can kindly reach out. You can always reach us at securency.com. John is at john at securency.com. And I'm surprisingly enough, dan at securency.com. So reach out to us, follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn and get involved. We're an ecosystem, an open ecosystem. So we want to work with all the players in the space, especially if you're in the DeFi world. Awesome. I, I tell you what, we're going to have to do another episode. I'm going to club together a bunch of DeFi guys and we're going to go, we're going to go from the full left of institutional to the full right of retail <laughs> DeFi. Yeah, and we're going to, we're going to do something amazing. I'm sure everybody's going to love that episode. So we'll, we'll work on that as well. Please bring that. Oh man, we would love to participate. Let's do some demos. I want to show you how these things go and how they work together with others. We would love to, to participate because there are some great, great offerings in the space. Awesome. So you know what we're going to do? We, we'll reach out to our audience. Anybody who wants to get in contact can contact you on the contact details. You can message us at Encrypted. And for anyone who's interested in really <laughs> trying to do plug and play DeFi, which is effectively what you're providing, and you are a developer, I think there's so much potential for all of this. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for being on the show 
today. And we're definitely going to push this more as the DeFi space goes up. In the end, it's all about enterprise grade, scalable, and now, right? So, and that's where we're all going to get, especially with the price of gas fees. We need to find some solutions to this. No doubt. Well, thank you very much. And thank you, John. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you.